0: Now, on top of that, you think about all the isms, right? You think about um, what people call microaggressions. There's another researcher who calls it um, symbolic violence, which I think that captures it better. Like, cause it's a, it's not micro, it's not small, but it is a, a violence against our psyche, right? When you mm-hmm. talk about microaggressions. So you have all of those things that are happening. And how does that, Um, impact our health, right? We know there's more anxiety, you know, all of those things that are happening and that's that's global, right? You know, as well.
1: Hi everyone, welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Latisse Hairston, founder and chief impact officer at Hope Consulting. During the episode, we explore some of the challenging questions about the role of organisations in creating harm and doing good for marginalised communities. Latisse offers her insights and perspectives on whether the harm caused by organisations outweighs their benefits and the importance of creating meaningful change in DEI work despite ongoing pain and harm. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Welcome, Latice.
0: you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really excited to talk to you and have the opportunity and thank you for the amazing work that you do already.
1: Oh no and same to you also. Um, Thanks so much for for coming out and speaking with me today. Let's kick things off I think by telling our listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today.
0: Well I've I've had maybe a little bit of an unorthodox journey um, here so I would say that I actually started off my career doing counseling and doing trauma work and doing work with communities that I would say have been pushed to the margins. One of the things that I saw in doing that work is the intersection of them with multiple organizations, particularly um, organizations that were supposed to be there to help and assist. And what actually what was happening was they were being further oppressed by those same organizations. And so for me, it's really how I started my advocacy work. I started my advocacy work in my counseling and actually going with them to different um, appointments and meetings and preparing the families that I was working with, how to navigate systems. And one of the things, I've been working on this for actually quite a long time now. One of the things I was um, uh, working on is a book around what happened to the human and human services. So that was just one aspect of my work. But it really led me into more so really thinking from that real social justice lens, right? And looking at how the organizations that we intersect with um, and the impact that it has in terms of ongoing oppression. So that led me to do that. Then I worked for a university for a number of years, actually going into organizations and working with organizations, being on the ground with them, doing coaching, um, you know, so I could see what's happening. So I would be sometimes six months with organizations at a time, um, being in the meetings, which is a little bit different than, you know, someone, you just showing up right from time to time versus really seeing what's happening what's what's really the climate the culture what what's happening within meetings um what's happening in terms of policies practices and procedures um then i worked for a global hospitality company then i went and i was a global director of diversity equity inclusion in an organization as well so had kind of the um Yeah, I guess
1: a whiny road path into this work. Yeah, no, but it does sound as though that it's been heavily to do with kind of helping others and really creating a change that is going to be allowing people to to really thrive within the workplace. Um, For you, what does DEI mean to you? Yeah, so for
0: me... There's been really this evolution for me when I think about diversity, equity, inclusion, working with many different organizations, working with um, executive leaders. in primarily I would say in executive coaching around um, people who identify as black, indigenous people of color. And one of the things I've been hearing a lot of those individuals in DEI roles as well and in other roles that were hired Um, and one of the things I've really been hearing is a lot in terms of the harm that's happening even within the roles and it's very interesting because there's been a number of articles that have come out more recently in terms of um, with with all the layoffs are ha- that are happening, that the roles of DEI directors, right, chief diversity officers, a lot of those roles are some of the first ones to go. When all the after twenty twenty, all the promises that happened in terms of DEI and organizations and what they were going to do, and you see again a lot of research that's saying a lot of that isn't actually happening, and so going back to your question when you asked about you know what does dei mean to me so one for me right now a focus of concentration i've been working on with many different organizations is around really shifting to healing centered practices right and what i mean by that is this is that what's happening is there's harm that's happening sometimes in the name of dei where um, within organizations, they've made these promises, but they're, you have people in, in the roles and they don't have the resources to do the job, right, right? Mm-hmm. right, they don't have, they don't have the resources, and a lot of times they don't have the power to do the job, they're not empowered to do it um, in the way that is really needed, um, and so there's a lot of harm, there's a lot of responsibilities put on the role, um, really not, really looking at organization-wide and everybody's responsibility in terms of carrying out that work, right? And so there's harm that's happening, and then there's healing that needs to happen. And again, there's a a wonderful definition that I love from Dr. Sean Jinright, who does a lot of work in this area, and he talks about healing is about the restoration of humanity, even in the face of fear. Because a lot of times what you'll hear, people's like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. So even in the face of here. So how do we heal while harm is still happening and while we're doing the work to change ways of being, policies, practices, procedures within organizations as well?
1: Mm, I love that. I do. I really love that. And for you, I mean, you've you've just said that it's something that you're working with a number of organizations on what have you found to be a key step in really moving forward in in kind of the healing and the hurt, hurt and the healing
0: <laughs> yeah, there's actually a model that i use around um healing center work um organizations but it's it's based on the work of many scholars before me so you know borrowing right and pulling it all together but it's it's noticing um, in all the different levels right that we talk about on an individual level, on an interpersonal level, on um an organizational level, community and cross structures is actually noticing what are the ruptures that have happened right across mm-hmm. all those different ways, right, what are the ruptures that have happened in relationships? Um, What are the ruptures that happen in terms of policies, practices, procedures within organizations and ways of being? And so being able to name it and being able to understand, right, as we're moving forward. But then after that, after looking at the ruptures, it's also what is the repair that needs to happen in terms of the harm, right? Mm. Um, And then how do we restore? And so part of that, when we talk about restore, is that I also have this background in restorative practices. And restore not, not meaning going back to the way it was before, but but to be able to restore and repair the harm that it's done so that we can move into a future and even imagine futures where isms right, aren't there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like yeah. and being able to envision that, right? So we have to be able to do that first, and then how do we reconnect in a different way? So looking from an individual level, right? Interpersonal level, from you know, an organizational level and across structure. So it's a very, um, it's a, I'll say it's slower, right? Because sometimes we're trying to move, 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 right, but really, really trying to understand at all levels and using various tools and practices to be able to do that. Mm
1: what do you, what do you think, or how do you think overall organizations are doing when it comes to DEI at the moment? Um, because I know that, that there's, there's a lot of hurt that is going on. Do you feel that that's a like significant amount of organizations are doing that hurt or what's, what, what's your opinion? Yeah, I
0: mean, I think, you know, where I would say it, for me, it's, I speak to the organizations um, that I've worked with, right? I speak to that as well as just in working with others who do this work as well. Um, and I think, you know, just, you know, when we think about it, right? This country, or when I think, when I say this country, I'm talking about the US, but across when we all are suffering from the impacts of colonization, right? Um, and, you know all the other isms that take take place across all over the world globally as well, and so the thing we're thinking about this is that um, this didn't happen overnight, right? And it's not going to change overnight, right? right when we yeah. think about that, mm-hmm. and so there's different organizations at at at, at different points, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, I you know. You know, working with some organizations and, you know, uh, you know, I, I talk about and, and try to understand what's the. Um, organizations, they're at the place where it's about, you know um the holidays right they're celebrating holidays right
1: that's the mm-hmm. word when
0: i say what's the work that you're doing well, right? what have you done and so far
1: what... oh well we had Correct, international exactly. women's day we had an event right, exactly. <laughs> it's coming up to ramadan club, y- yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah 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 no i get it mm-hmm. right but on
0: on the other and and i also see organizations who are really looking at um different kinds of, of practices and really looking at and examining, for example, what what's our relationship with professionalism, right? Mm. What do we mean when we talk about what it means to be a professional and how does that live in our policies, practices, and procedures? And how does it um, produce? differential outcomes for different people based on their various intersectional identities, right? And really digging into that, right? So, you know, um there, you know, there are those who are looking, again, they're doing climate surveys, but then there's also organizations that are really digging in to understand, well, what does that mean, in terms of different units, different supervisors, different outcomes of different intersectional identities, right? So really looking, looking, digging in and really understanding. Um so I would say there's a range. Yeah. When you think about it. And I would say the other thing is that um really starting to look at um you, you know when we talk about, you know, again my background is um also in psychology and counseling things like that. And You know, when you talk about people having threat responses of fight, flight, freeze, right, dissociate and appease, shows up at an organizational level as well. When there is some discomfort and you have a group of people who voice a level of discomfort around the work of DEI, right? And there's different responses in terms of an organization in terms of what they experience as threat, right? And so some organizations will go into a freeze response and shut things down, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, Oh no, we can't we can't talk about this. We can't do this, right? You know, we can't do that. So so let's just focus on, you know, you know, it, it it sometimes amounts to the whole piece of just like all lives matter and not let's Let's not talk about the Yeah, very surface level. Really they work. don't want to go too yes. far.
1: Let's not go too far deep into this just in case. Yeah. We'll kind of sugarcoat, cover it up with a band-aid. Exactly. It should be fine. Yeah, no, I understand yeah. what you mean. It becomes
0: very performative mm-hmm. in nature,
1: right? But that's
0: the other part of it is that what's a little bit different about the work that I do is I also bring in somatic practices in, right? Going back to when we know what we know about. The neuroscience of change, right? That sometimes we're trying to approach this work just from a cognitive dimension, when in reality, right? You know, there's a whole disconnection um, from from everything. Like, you know, just in so, for example, um, someone in a in a training uh, the other day was talking about, brought up um, white supremacy culture, right? And we just stop for a moment, and I'm like, we stop and we notice what happens within people's bodies, even in hearing that kinds of language and what comes up for them, right? You know, so it's not just dealing with its cognitive dimension, but what is that? Those, what are the fight, flight, freeze, appease? What are their responses to that? And then because now we're starting to understand before the behavior comes that we're reconnecting to what happens within us, right?
1: I'm I'm curious, how, how do you measure that how do you, how do you gauge that? Because it's it's. I mean, it's very individual. Um. So in in someone kind of taking a step back and looking out into a classroom, how how do you know? Right. Okay. We've got these people that are in a freeze mode, or or they're in an appease mode. I do like. I'm I'm curious. How how can we read that?
0: Yeah. So I me mean, part of it is. Even before we get into the work, right, I introduce somatic practices, right, right and I kind of explain what it is, give some examples. Um, and then, from as we, so if, if you think about it this way in terms of um, in psychology, when someone is like afraid of, like a spider, and it's progressive exposure, right? Right, yeah. So don't just bring the spider in and bring that in, but it's per- progressive exposure. So that's what happens throughout throughout the, the. Um, and I don't call it training, really. I shouldn't have even said training, but it's, a, it's an experience together, mm-hmm. a collective experience, right, when we're thinking about it. And So it's it's kind of teaching and um, having people to start to identify even in breakout groups and how you even process like getting people accustomed to really paying attention Mm -hmm. going back to what's happening with them and and for people who are who are less familiar with it um like if people are more familiar with like emotional intelligence right so people are Familiar with that, so you talk to them in, in terms of something they're akin to, right? Yes, right. And so when you talk about emotional intelligence, right, it is about awareness and our responses, right.
1: Mm-hmm. So in our
0: ability to be able to respond from a, from a place of that emotional intelligence, but being aware of ourselves, yeah. So there's the connections and the links to what's familiar to people, right? And somatic practices again just means whole body, right, and um, and not just coming from a cognitive place when there really are a lot of emotional responses that happen and other responses that happen that makes us, like, move, move back from something, right? We might go into a freeze response yes. or we go into a fight response, yes. right? And then yeah. you get you get shame and blame and, and all of those things that happen.
1: No, I understand. Well. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, I guess it's a, it's about recognizing that there is that emotional element to a lot of of this work and and as you said it's it's really kind of recognizing that and recognize it not only from a personal perspective for you as an individual how what are your responses and then kind of trying to see or just being aware that others may have different responses and and like you said with the emotional intelligence um it's like knowing that there is a shift and responding to it accordingly um and making sure it is it's a part of anything that you anything new or any change management that you put in place that is 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 kind of integrated into that um cuz yeah, yeah it, it's definitely i mean just in general like i feel like it's important that that we understand that in order to really change a culture or change anything really it, it isn't going to just be a one two and done um there's a lot of systemic and historical bad right. behaviors and that have really ingrained the way in which the world operates and how we live um and there's a lot of there's a lot of work that needs to be done in order to to kind of change that for the better um and like you said it's not only just emotional but it, it's definitely cognitive and and as well as um emotional um yeah and, and i
0: would also add to that right is is also understanding really this piece around socialization right um right um i use a lot i think it's you know actually brilliant work it's older but the cycle of socialization cycle of liberation and really understanding and really so for example just understand just taking one piece around Um, socialization around professionalism right and Mm -hmm. what that means and how we've been his how we've been socialized from you know from all the different um, systems right about what does it mean to be a professional I was doing a session well the the other day and we just we were unpacking that
1: right it's Um, a lot like even when I think about it as me personally like my idea of professionalism has comp- has changed dramatically, I mm-hmm. think, um, as I've gotten older. Um, and I think initially I was taught through my parents and their generations, um, especially from co- um, I'm a person of colour, um, cool. it was like you need to, to speak a certain type of way. I have to be dressed like in a suit, um, in kind of like office attire with tights, Good black shoes, kind of shirts, skirts, blazer, that sort of dress. That to me, if I looked like uh, saw a woman walking down the road, I'd be like, right, okay, she's professional. Um, so her hair tied back, neat and tidy. That's she's well put together. She's she's a, a professional. Whereas now I look at myself and I'm like, well, <laughs> I go to I go to work with my com- Converse's on, a pair of jeans <laughs> and a jumper, like. But I'm no less professional um that's right but yeah so it, it it's so interesting,
0: noticing what that shift is, right, and then what again, and this is the thing is you know, um, I also teach at a couple of universities, and um we're, we we really unpack this, right, and we also look at um at historical policies and procedures that come from that come out of hr right you when you look at it yeah and really looking at that right a lot of them were developed that we still have in place right and this is across the globe right <laughs> we still have in place because they were put in place to exclude certain people and certain groups and at certain different times and they, so they were exclusionary and and now we still we still have that socialization so part of it is Extracting and say, well, where did that come from? Right, you know. um Even like you talked about, a piece of clothing has no meaning until we put the meaning on it. What does a tie, in of itself, it's an article of clothing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: You see, what it's, until we start to put the meaning on it, and where does it come from? And then, what does it mean in terms of who gets excluded and who gets included? Who who are the who are those who are making uh, the the rules, the norms, and then who gets pushed to the margins because of it? You understand what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and really when you, when we start to really look at that it's 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 slow work, but it comes from a place not of shame or blame, but being able to understand to under understand our, ourselves. And it really is about, going back to the definition of the healing, is restoring our own humanity. And so it also comes to the other piece of centering is around compassion. And the compassion being is is really first having self-compassion, right? Can we bring compassion to ourselves, you know, um, in terms of alleviating our own suffering? Because if we could do that first. And then we can have compassion for others. I mean, that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. So I mean, there's some other things that I'm really doing that and and, and moving into as well um, is um, I looked at the, the research of um, I believe her name is Dana Johnson, um, and she's doing some research around um, rest inequality. Right. And that's something that we don't necessarily talk about as much when we talk about this idea of rest inequality and really looking at, again, some of the the same identities are pushed to the margins, have more rest inequality. Right. And rest being the ability to have, to not worry and have sustained peace. Right. And then what does that mean for even how we show up at work? Right. You know, um there was just an article in um Harvard Business Review, and they talked about it's, it's not new but it, it it just brought it out again this idea of um they talk about micro stressors right, and how these micro stressors are things like for example, um they give an example around you're working on a on a team and someone does it you know uh, get their stuff in on time and so it impacts you and now you're working late and now you you call your your partner and say you know i have to and they're like well you don't come in you know like all these yeah yeah it's like a snowball
1: effect Mm yeah right it's mm -hmm. a
0: snowball effect and it has impact on our health now on top of that you think about all the isms right you think about um what people call microaggressions there's another researcher who calls it Um, symbolic violence which I think that captures it better like because it's a it's not micro it's not small but it is a a violence against our psyche right when you Mm -hmm. talk about micro so you have all of those things that are happening and how does that um, impact our health right we know there's more anxiety you know all of those things that are happening and that's that's global right you know as well
1: Mm. Definitely, and there isn't. Unfortunately, there isn't just one, a single thing that we need to do in order to change all of that. There's there's a lot of work to do, and how how would you say organizations can prioritize? Like how how would they prioritize any of the competing needs that a business has, or even within their the DEI work that they have, or the the, the goals that they've got um because there's a lot to do what would you say is a way to to kind of organize that what do you do first uh with
0: mean, the thing is i think you know that's very i would say that's very um unique to each organization when you're looking at that right you know, when you're saying cuz there's no one answer right <laughs> when you're looking at it i think I think this is one of the things I would say is that when we're talking about um, DEI, um, often what happens is that you have your, uh, if an organization, I'll just say this, if an organization has a chief diversity officer, and then if you look at those, some of those job descriptions in relationship to the chief diversity officer, they're supposed to I say it's a, it's a miracle job description, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, when you see it is often pages of, of things that they're going to do, right? And sometimes they have timelines in, re- in regard to that. And I think really when we think about this, again, it's all of our responsibility. So how does that look across all si- systems? How does it look across all functions? in the organizations and how is their accountability and relationship to that as well. It doesn't sit on somebody's shoulders to achieve that. Right. I one person, or even if you have a team, which often, um, in, in some organizations, there aren't, there, there isn't a team, right. To, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's one person or two people and the resources aren't there to support the work that that match these statements, right? And so what is that, what does that really mean? To really be able to look at. And so what does that mean across in terms of being the shouldering of every unit, right? Of every leader, of every no matter where you're at in within the organization, and what does that look like in terms of accountability? Now I think that's a broad stroke, right? And it's very different from different organizations as to where we begin or where we start, depending on where they're at in the journey when Mm -hmm. we start to look at that, right? Um, Sometimes there's magic wand thinking. I think that happens, right? That, you know, and you mentioned this before, which is, I think, so important without a change management strategy. Yeah. Right. There's no change. There's no parallel change management strategy. Mm -hmm. And change management is the people side of change. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's these broad um, um, strategic plans. Um, Some people are uh, moving toward emergent strategy as well. Without the other piece around the people side of change. Right. And what does that look like? Right. and, and I guess so, that ties
1: back into what we were saying earlier in this conversation about the emotional side, people's reactions. I think it, yes. it all, it's all a mix that plays plays a huge part. Um, and it's, yes. it's definitely an integral piece to this massive puzzle that we're trying to, to kind of put together.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's so, so important. And that's a lot of work that I'm also doing, you know, with organizations around, yeah, the people side of change. And but what are the resources that you're putting together in terms of and it's a whole process when you're talking about the people side of change and strategizing and having um, voices. Right. And then how what does that look like? So this is the other thing, right? Um, You know, again, when we're talking about, you know, no matter what the language that people use, or you're talking about belonging or you talking about inclusion and you're talking about, you know, again, there's different language that we use. Um, some people use justice and equity and all all of those things when you think. So the thing is, for me, is, is when we're talking about, you know, what does that look like every day, right? What does it look like to be inclusive, right, every day? What does it look like in meetings? right how does that show up what are the specific behaviors right in terms of that one of the things that i do is um within organizations is we do something called or teach something called sawabona agreements so sawabona comes from the Zulu greeting which means we see you and it's like the hello and mm-hmm. then the response back to that is i exist for you and so if we're talking about belonging, belonging and in, inclusion is very is also very personal for, for individuals and teams, right? And so it is it's agreements around how might you be seen today? Right. And yeah. how might we exist for each other even at that team level, right? And so doing those agreements and having check ins and relationships that how do we do to what we say we we need and what we're willing to offer to each other right so there's sometimes the you know the big goals we want so many of these people or so many of these people within the organization and when they're when they come in they're harmed because <laughs> the culture yeah right <clears throat> yeah right, it's just right? there's no it's not to set up it. for them mm-hmm. exactly yeah right yeah
1: Oh, Latisse, I've, I've so much enjoyed our conversation. I think you, you've given us a lot to think about um, and a lot to, to really explore there today. Um, just before you leave us, could you give some parting piece of advice for leaders that are aspiring to to do this work and wanting to be advocates in the space?
0: Yeah, so the first thing I would say, and, and this is me speaking to me always as well first, right? is about the importance of doing your own work. That's the thing. I think as a leader, when you're talking about what really and when I say doing your own work, um, it really is being able to understand who you are, how you've been socialized, right? To be able to understand and um, be in this. Con- and, and, and let me just say this it's beyond reading a book right (laughs) you know because you know when i say about doing the work sometimes people will say well yeah i read this book and what does that look like in action right what is that what's the fruit of that what Mm -hmm. is the fruit of right doing your own work and so for me i'm always in the process of doing my own work but also having I'm also surround myself with other individuals who also hold me accountable but also who can support me right in in the work as well, right because it's difficult it's hard, you know it's hard and it's joyful right look- yeah. like for example i you know in in an experience um was part of the other day and Um, Someone just saying, you know, and and having, really having tears in their eyes and being able to say, and they said, this is the first time being part of an organization, right, where even being able in this space to be able to say what's harming and what I need, actually feeling like someone is not only going to listen and say, oh, Right. Yeah, that's you gonna do something. Mm -hmm. Something's gonna happen as a result. Not that I'm just sharing so people can be voyeurs into my pain or my hurt, right? You know what I mean? That they actually see something. And they and they also recognize it's it's it was a it was a small step, but it was meaningful and that felt like part of that repairing, that reconnection, right, in a different way. Right, and so I, I think, I think that's something, and to, and you know, to be as leaders, to be able to understand what's our own threat response, right? When we feel right, do we run away right from what is what is difficult or hard? So,
1: yeah. Oh, thank you, Leticia. That's amazing. Um, once again, thanks so much for for joining me today on this podcast. Um. For anyone who's listening, if they're wanting to connect with you, how best can they do that?
0: Well, I'm on LinkedIn, right? Um, and then also um so i have a a, a website which is um www.hopeharvesting.com and by email as well, that's latice at hopeharvesting.com. Um we're doing some some things that, that are gonna be rolling out. Um we do something that's called women heal and rise and it's just for BIPOC women it's a six-week experience within a collective experience where we are in this process of healing together and celebrating each other then I mean, really looking at you know what are the things that have harmed us but also looking at our our strengths what are historical ways and practices right that also live in our dna right um and so yeah it's a beautiful experience together so yes thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to talk to you and really all the amazing work that you're doing and giving voice right to when we're talking about diversity equity and inclusion because it's all of us doing the work together that makes a difference in terms of um, like the principle of seven generations Right. What do we do today that's gonna impact the next seven generations to come? Yeah. And you're doing amazing work toward that.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Latisse. And yeah, I mean, this is why I do this work. It's it's definitely for future generations and <clears throat> and I will definitely be linking down below all of your um your links to your social uh LinkedIn profile as well as your website and email as well. So if anyone's listening and wanting to reach out to Latisse, you can definitely do that. Just check out the description below. Um and also take a look at her website as well for the for the event that she's just spoken about because it sounds amazing so you definitely don't want to miss that